0: And now ladies and gentlemen, white coats of the round table. Hi everyone, welcome to White Coats of the Round table, a healthcare podcast focused on career development, burnout prevention, and non-clinical careers. My name's Mike Asback, and I'm joined, as always, by John McDonald. John, good morning.
1: Good morning, sir. How are you?
0: I'm tired, but progressively getting more and more caffeinated, so I guess that's the key to success.
1: Yeah, well, I haven't had my coffee yet. I'm trying the Hebrew method, you know, clear all that adenosine first. Seems to be working okay, but I'm a little bit glossy-eyed still.
0: This is not the topic of the day, but I'm always curious by that because I, I... Somewhat follow Huberman and, and all those things. And I'm a big believer that discipline matters and having structure matters. But then some of the things it's like, oh, my goodness, you're adding so much inconvenience to the day. I me personally, there is no greater joy than getting up bleary eyed in the morning, going and getting the coffee going. And then I shower. And when I come out, the kitchen just smells like fresh brewed coffee. You sit, you have your first cup maybe before you leave the house. There, There's a lot of joy that comes to that, and I don't know if I want to delay that by an hour and a half. So, John, what are we going to talk about today?
1: We're going to talk about the emergence of the third place. Um, you had mentioned this a bit ago, and funny enough, I've seen a ton of information about third places, not realizing that's what it was called, uh, on TikTok and Instagram, YouTube, uh, primarily surrounding people living in Spain. And so when you brought this up, I was thinking, you know, I don't know how this came to fruition, but I know a bit more about third places than I thought. I'm excited to talk about it because I am a community oriented person and love being around other people and feeling isolated is probably one of the worst things that I could feel.
0: It's funny because we did not talk about that TikTok, but I know exactly what TikTok you're looking at because I also have had. In my For You page on TikTok, a lot of stuff about community and um, you know urban planning or the importance of having diversity in your living environment. And I think it's very important, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But you're right. It's such an important thing. And I think in America, we struggle with it because we're such an individualistic society. And that's, once again, part of what we'll discuss today. This has been a topic that's been a passion of mine for quite a while, I think in 2019. I wrote a journal article that got published about the loneliness epidemic and talking about how it is a huge driver of mental health and is only going to become worse since then, since I wrote that article. So I'll take credit. uh, The Surgeon General issued a report a couple of years ago indicating that loneliness was one of the most concerning areas of society in terms of mental health and things that are looking really trending in the wrong direction. So I think it's a timely topic, and I would love to dive into it. So maybe to get started, do you want to take the honors of defining what the heck a third place is, and then we can talk about kind of why it matters and what's relevant about it?
1: So when we discuss a third place, it's obvious that there's a first and a second place. And the first place is home, uh, where we spend most of our time with our immediate family. Second place is work, where we probably spend probably most time with our community or the people that we spend our life with. And the third place, of course, is the area that we go outside of home and work where community comes up, where we get to be uh, a little bit more playful. uh, Mood is what I've read in a few articles where we're not taking ourselves so seriously. It's not just about our professional attitudes um, or even our family attitudes, but a place where we can go Gather with community of other people. That's not at the house. Um, not even necessarily the grocery store where we might see other people. Or I guess you can really look at it like church uh, for some folks because it's a community center. People go consistently to meet and as an alternative even to recreation. You know, so we go to these places to enjoy our life, to really expand upon our uh, personal relationships and the feeling of community. So where we are now post-COVID, it's a bit different than what it used to be for us because a lot of us experienced a lot of loneliness staying at the house and not even being able to go to work. So we didn't even have our second place. So discussing the third place could be a little bit daunting post-COVID.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating discussion in the world of COVID because this was already an issue prior to COVID where we were losing those third places. As you said, church, I think Our society is one that historically has been very religious, more religious than Europe or other first world countries. And that's good in the sense that church or religion gives a sense of community, a sense of togetherness. It's a group of people that are similar in terms of their beliefs, their values. But church participation, church attendance continues to drop. And the other thing that we're seeing is fraternal or communal organizations. I think of the BFW or, um, you know, Knights of Columbus. Both of those are organizations that have these long and storied histories and they are struggling to survive because members are dying off and younger, newer people aren't joining. We're just spending all of our time on social media and that certainly does not replace this because social media is a very surfacey level of connection or communication. So, Let's talk a little bit more about third places specifically, and then we'll maybe try and tie it into healthcare. But you and I are obsessed with coffee. When I think of third places, one of the things I think of is Starbucks. So let me take you through a little bit of at least my thoughts on it. I am not a Starbucks historian. So if Howard Schultz is listening to this, he may, you know, you're, Howard, you're welcome to come on the show and give any correction. But I've read a couple of biographies on Howard Schultz and on Starbucks because I really do just have a lot of fascination for the Starbucks business model. And one of the things that can be attributed to Starbucks just dominance in the space of coffee is they recognized or Howard Schultz recognized the need for a third place and the fact that society was changing really through the 90s where we were losing those communal anchors, church bowling leagues, VFWs, things like that. And yet, as humans, we still need that connection. We still need that third place. So what Starbucks did is they were very intentional in creating a space where you could go. Your level of interpersonal participation was not required. You could go, you could show up with headphones, you could show up with a book, you could stay for hours, but it gave you a place where you still felt that you were belonging to something, that you were you know, part of a family. And I think Starbucks was so forward-thinking that way because as we've seen with society and the internet and work from home, we've become even more individualized. But that desire to just go and sit somewhere instead of just staring at the same four walls of your house is so good. When I'm traveling for work, I will seek out a Starbucks if I have work to do because I'll sit there with my laptop for two hours, I'll get free refills on my coffee and drink way too much of it. But it allows me to do work in an environment that is far more enjoyable than just sitting in a hotel room alone. And I think that's really where Starbucks has had its success is the coffee's only okay. It's consistent, but it's not outstanding. But what they do a really good job of creating that consistent, welcoming environment where you can go and just feel that you're part of community, even if you're not interacting with everyone. But I'd love your thoughts on that and maybe, you know, yeah. how Starbucks has formed that. Because everybody listening to this is, I'm sure, gone to a Starbucks. So it's a great example that everyone's going to be familiar with and we can talk through what that experience looks like.
1: Yeah. Did you say free refills? Yeah. What are you talking about?
0: If you're like a gold member at Starbucks and you're in, you're in the restaurant,
1: you can get a refill. Yeah. I did not yeah. know that. I spent all of my uh, graduate school years at Panera r- drinking. And this is the mistake I made is Starbucks. You don't have limits on your Wi-Fi there mm-hmm. and Panera, especially during the uh, high times, you only have an hour or two. They limit you and then, then they cut you off. So that's actually so, no, expand on I that. Know that. That's a great aspect of building this third place,
0: right? Is Starbucks yeah. has, you know, bathrooms are be allowed to be used even if you're mm-hmm. a own customer Wi-Fi is completely free Starbucks Wi-Fi is very fast so mm-hmm. when I'm in the boondocks speaking or traveling if I can find a Starbucks I know that I'll have a Wi-Fi connection that's reliable if I find a Dunkin Donuts or a McDonald's I'm not necessarily guaranteed that
1: so those little things so it's yeah it's a it's a place where the accessibility is high where you don't have to bring A ton of extra technology with you. You don't have to bring a backpack full of things to make sure that you you stay busy or that you are enjoying yourself. Most of the stuff is there, and a lot of these places, uh, Starbucks, including many other coffee shops, actually have bookshelves that you know. If you're bored, you can pick up a book that somebody had left there and and read. So you really don't need to bring much at all. Now laptops everybody's bringing their laptop and this is the one caveat that i'm going to uh, bring the conversation about starbucks is because starbucks is so pervasive across the united states you can walk into any starbucks it's going to look very similar you know what you're going to get like you said consistency you know there's free wi-fi you can use the bathroom Um, you can even have uh, a meal if you want however when you go to Starbucks, unless you go to the same spot every single day and you have regulars, you're probably not going to know everybody that's that's in there. So you're not going to have a lot of community conversations or just riffing off each other like like maybe you would think of at a barber barbershop. Um, so Starbucks does offer, I would call that like a middle ground, where maybe you don't want to talk to everybody. Maybe you don't want to be very well known, but you want to be seen. And feel like you're a part of something like you were mentioning. Starbucks is a great place to go for that. Um, the free Wi-Fi is is really huge though, because uh that's one of the reasons why I stopped going to uh to Panera. It's just I didn't have the time to sit there, wait for peak hours to be done so that I can continue on the internet. So people don't just go to hang out there, unless of course it's post-church. Now there's a quote that I want to bring to you from a, a man named Ray Oldenburg, because uh, he, he is one of he was one of the leaders in third spaces and how this can psychologically support our communities. He quoted, "What suburbia cries for are the means for people to gather easily, inexpensively, regularly, and pleasurably. A place on the corner, real life alternatives to television." easy escapes from cabin fever of marriage and family life that do not necessitate getting into an automobile. Now, that one part at the end about the automobile, like we have to drive where we're going most of the time, unless you're living in the city. But it does give some reprieve to your normal life, and it's something that you look forward to. Now, you mentioned Starbucks. I want to talk about my favorite coffee shop. It's called Fair Poor. It's uh, I live in I live in Rochester, New York. So we got this nice little uh, coffee shop called Fairport. And my wife was going there every day and she was reading. She goes there to read. She gets the same drink every day. And she started to get to know the one of the baristas there. She saw what type of book she was reading and just sparked up conversation. It's transformed into this relationship. Well, now they'll, they'll trade book names. And every time we get there. You, it's almost like cheers. You can say, Oh, yeah, I'm like, I'll get my normal thing. And you're saying hi to the owner. The guy's here on the bar and he's always there. And he, he puts his two cents into the conversation. And you give him a little ribbing. And uh, there's another man who's deaf. And I try to practice my sign language. And every time I see him, I'm trying. It's that is the community I think we're talking about. Whenever we have a morning off, we enjoy going there. Um, after this recording, I'm going to go visit her there and and read my book next to her. And I I know I'm going to see people that uh, want to see me, who are excited to see me and have something to talk about.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. And coffee shops are a great way to do that, especially as you described in suburbia, where we are car centric. I think as a country, we've been gradually transitioning back towards more urban environments, more people are moving to cities, although COVID disrupted that a little bit. But I think in part because we're recognizing the value of having diverse communities, having communities of all kinds of different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, having everybody living in one space, kind of water, you know, feeding off of each other's differences in unique aspects is a really wonderful thing for just a richness in our culture. But also it allows if you're in an urban setting for you to walk to your local coffee shop. And I think when you have the neighborhood grocer or you have a neighborhood bar or neighborhood coffee shop, it does build that sense of community versus suburbia where if you're driving 10 miles away, you may not interact with the same people. I think there's much more of that, you know, grab and go culture, especially with coffee or things like that. So It's lovely that you have a community coffee shop and that you've built that connection Mm -hmm. because I think that's exactly what we're describing here. That's what Starbucks has has built. Now, I agree with you. Starbucks is not the end-all be-all, but I think Starbucks is a great representation Mm -hmm. of meeting the market where it's at. Because Mm -hmm. in a perfect world, we don't want Starbucks to be the ideal third place because we want a third place that is much more communal, that is much more personable but at the same time our society has become one that is so fractured that is so individualistic that i think starbucks is meeting the people where they want to be met which is mm-hmm. a, a very low transactional third place sense of community where there is not an expectation for a ton of
1: deep personal connection because that's not what people want i've got another quote i want to run your way so this is another quote from the same gentleman ray oldenburg he quotes In the absence of informal public life, living becomes more expensive where the means and facilities for relaxation and leisure are not publicly shared. They become the objects of private ownership and consumption. So what he's getting at here is that when we do live privately and completely privately, we take what would normally be um, extracurricular activities. We have to buy the equipment. We have to buy the spaces. And it becomes much more expensive because we're not spreading the cost across everybody else. So whereas if you do have these communal spaces, like we talked about in Spain, where you have the um, little town centers where there's maybe a a soccer court, uh, like maybe a futsal court, uh, there's benches, tables for uh, parents to go sit down and talk. There's even usually a local bar right there or a wine bar for them to grab a drink sit down with their laptops talk about work and even uh ray Oldenburg was mentioning that it's a leveling place so it's a place where it doesn't matter what form of society you come from what level of society what your professional uh endeavors are you could be a um a mailman and then you could have a doctor uh and then you can have a kindergarten teacher all together sharing the same uh sharing the same space, talking about life, but it doesn't necessarily have to focus around their their professional uh, attitudes. And I think that's such
0: an important part of it because suburbia, very often we end up economically sorting where all of the people that are of high income are living in one neighborhood, their kids are going to one school district. People that are all working class are working in another neighborhood or living in another neighborhood, different school district. And that's not good. You know, research is pretty definitive that we want to have that intermingling, that really diverse and rich society. So, I'd like to shift focus because we've talked for a good 15 minutes now about Starbucks in, in the third place. And I think we've done a good job of establishing kind of what it is and why it's important. Let's shift focus and talk about professional third places. Because I think as a broader society, we need to have a third place, we need to have, you know, opportunities to have community to have connection. But even professionally, I think there's a lot of great examples of different professions that have their own third place that allows them to have that that communal aspect. So let's, let's brainstorm a little bit. And here's a couple that I would throw at you is former military, of course, so army. And most bases have officers clubs or some sort of you know, MWR facility, which is a a morale welfare recreation facility where you can go and just hang out. They have pool tables. They maybe have a bar if it's an officer's club. So that's an example that's maybe even now becoming somewhat antiquated because I'm guessing that less and less soldiers are frequenting those types of establishments. But cops, you know, informally, I think, you know, if you go to any precinct, you say, hey, where do the cops drink? There's probably a bar that is, you know, full of cops off duty because that's where they go to hang out. That's where they, they go to, you know, play darts or whatever it ends up being. But what are your thoughts? Do you have uh, maybe some other examples at the top of your head of some professional third places?
1: I mean, if we're talking about public servants, firefighters, uh, I, I can't think of a more communal profession than firefighters. They, they, Not only do they work together, they live together. Um, they sleep in the same area. They cook for each other. And then they're extremely involved in the community. They run those fill-the-boot drives. They have the firefighter carnivals. Uh, they're extremely involved in the community. Uh, and it's one of the last bastions that I've seen consistently. Uh, they haven't slowed down at all. Um so that, that's firefighters. I would say uh, the Rotary Clubs. I've got a friend who is part of a Rotary Club. He's a younger guy. He's 35. Um, and he's probably one of the younger guys in the club. And he's trying to recruit more and more people because he he finds value in giving back to the community in, in the means that they can as professionals. But they all are different types of professionals coming together at this Rotary Club. And he really enjoys it. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking back on when I was working in the clinical space at the hospital, working on the floors, uh, the hospital I worked at, they were developing the area around it and they, you've probably seen those, those new buildings going up around different parts of the city where you might live in, where they have the storefront on the bottom and then they have apartment buildings on top or living spaces, uh, which is becoming quite the norm. Where my hospital was, there was a beer garden that opened up right next to the hospital. So what ended up happening, shift changes were almost always the same for everybody. So uh, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, uh, PAs, NPs, we would all shift change around the same time. So we would do our patient handoffs. And as we're in the unit or the hall, we'd say, are you guys going to the beer garden? And we'd all go down, and you'd see all these different professionals that maybe have been passed in in the hospital, but now you're sitting next to them, drinking a beer, and you can get get to know each other in a different aspect. And I don't, as I don't want to necessarily encourage uh, health professionals to go out drinking afterwards. Uh, not everybody was. There would be big pretzels, they get the charcuterie boards, and conversation would just start up. So I got to know people I would have never gotten to know because the professionals would go to the same spot afterwards because it was in within walking distance of the workplace. It's such a perfect example because I think
0: that the after work time of just going and grabbing a beer or grabbing a pretzel at happy hour, presumably you've got nurses interacting with doctors. You've got anesthesiologists that are talking to physical therapists. You've got pharmacists that you know, no one knows why they're there, but that's okay. No, just kidding.
1: Yeah. We're just talking to the bartender about what they,
0: <laughs> it's a great opportunity for that interprofessional, um, intermingling and in connection in a way where you're outside of the hierarchies of medicine. I think medicine's so fascinating because it is a hierarchical profession and some of that, some of those barriers are breaking down. I mean, the fact that I'm here is a, an example because PAs and NPs are kind of, A foot in both camps they're providers but they're not physicians uh, but they're you know not staff they're still medical providers so it is getting better but at the same time there's very much this you know the physicians are the top dog and you know nurses may have different opinions of different professions so there's always a little bit of a an infighting or some tension and there's nothing that will help reduce that or build a team build that cohesion and the entire OR team going out and having a pretzel after a long day in, the, in surgery. And I think those things matter. I, I want to circle back to the firefighter example because that's, I think, one of the rare examples, like you said, where there is still this incredible fraternal, brotherhood, you know, family-like environment that comes with your coworkers. But it's also one of the few examples, I think, that we can provide where that third place is also part of the work environment. Where I would still separate the two. That, you know, you have your work environment, which would be when they're going out on calls, but then you have the fire hall where they are, yeah, they're on call, they're ready if something comes in, but at the same time they're not working. They're hanging out, they're relaxing, they're cooking meals together, they're working out. I would still consider that a third place. And yet their employer, you know, the fire hall is providing or facilitating that third place. And from a firefighter perspective, I would certainly assume that the quality of life for their job satisfaction is going to be very heavily dependent on what their fire hall looks like because they're spending so much time there. So do they have wait facilities? Do they have a ping pong table? Do they have good cable TV? Do they have comfortable beds? That stuff's all going to matter. But then also who they're working with, building those connections, having that that fraternal you know, feeling of uh, connectedness and feeling that they're with people that have got their back. So that's maybe a good transition here. So how do we build that in healthcare? I love the idea of a beer garden next to every hospital, but at the same time, alcohol is a great social lubricant, but it's not necessarily a healthy social lubricant, even though it's so ingrained in our culture. But the other thing I worry about with your, your example of a beer garden is that it's not inclusive in the sense that There's still some, you know, ticket to entry. Even if you're not drinking, you have to go, you know, put down probably 10 or 15 bucks on a pretzel or on a drink. And if you're doing that every day, that really can add up and that can be problematic. I think this is actually where coffee shops have succeeded is sure you can go to Starbucks and lay down some coin, but at the same time, you can go and get a $2 coffee and the barrier to entry is quite low because you could stay there for two hours on a $2 cup of coffee. So there's maybe some inclusivity issues that I I worry about with that. But I do think it's really important that healthcare, it's one of the largest sectors of our economy. You know, we have millions of people employed in the healthcare industry. How can we have third places in healthcare and how can we build and foster that? I'd love to kick it to you to get your thoughts and then I can give you mine.
1: Yeah, so my first thought is sports and activities. With low cost uh, entry, there's a big emergence of pickleball again. I'm not sure if in Buffalo it's really.
0: I yeah, have pickleball paddles, and
1: we, I play. Yeah, so pickleball is really um, up and coming again, and it's not really that expensive to play. There's a lot of outdoor courts, and then when when winter hits up in the north where we are, they have indoor courts, and they're actually building a new place right down the street for me now. Pickleball is, I think, a great example because we've talked how many times on the podcast about making sure that we're getting enough exercise and how important that is for our psychosocial um, health where we should be getting active. But I, I'm not sure how this has worked for you in the past, but there's been plenty of times where uh, people in my workplace have joined a kickball league or a softball league uh, playing soccer. A couple of years ago, one of my interns asked me if I could play on a soccer team in the summer. I thought it was just going to be a little co-ed, you know, we're just going to run around. No, it was full field soccer. And the first two days I was there, I threw up on the sidelines because I was running so hard. (laughs) I was not ready for it. But we ended up starting inviting other pharmacists and other interns um, and even technicians to come and play where it was a one-time cost, maybe $50. You got a jersey and you knew twice a week, you're going to play a game. And you can invite, I would invite my wife and my kids, like, why don't you guys come and and come see the game? And other people would also have their uh, family members there with their kids and they would just talk. I mean, you can't sit next to each other without talking about stuff, especially if You've heard of these people's names at work. And maybe I've talked to my wife before about Bob at work. And now Bob's wife is sitting next to her with their kids. It's like, now they have something to talk about and they can get to know each other. So I would say if you're interested in, in getting into uh, a community that's going to be consistent and inexpensive, something to look forward to, uh, I think sport finding a sport that you enjoy Uh, That you would look forward to is a great option for healthcare individuals to get involved with.
0: I would actually take it a step further and say, as we're trying to drive inclusivity, that having employer-sponsored healthcare, healthcare, you know, softball, volleyball, pickleball—my goodness, it's probably two or three hundred bucks to sponsor a team and have have your company have a team in the league. And that's a great way to build cohesion. It's a great way to build that camaraderie and togetherness. And like you said, it's not even just the people that are playing. It also can be an opportunity for others to come. A while back, I played in a beach volleyball league with my employer. Or my my job sponsored as team. And I had never played volleyball before, but it was a ton of fun. And just like you said, my wife would come to the games. There was other spouses there. It was a great opportunity to just relax and then kids happened and life got a lot more busy and complicated. But I think you're on to something. So here, here's the two that I would offer, because I'm kind of thinking about this in the sense of what can employers do? Because as healthcare individuals, I think there's opportunities for us to find third places. But as individuals, we're not necessarily beholden to finding those third places within our job or within our career. As an employer, if we're trying to drive employee well-being, I think we as employers have an obligation to try and think about these things and figure out a way to, to build those third places or
1: at least encourage them. So Oldenburg actually mentioned this in a way. He said, uh, especially healthcare facilities, they're in a perfect position to do this, um, not only for their employees' well-being, but because if they're the bastion of hope for psychosocial health. Then it would behoove them to get involved in the community. Uh, they have the resources. Sometimes they even have the space to do this. That we could get involved more in the community and offer these places, so that not only the the healthcare folks can go, uh, but the community can as well and join up and see. Oh, I've seen this person before in the clinic I go to, or I uh, mean, there's just so many opportunities for these major universities or teaching hospitals to get involved and make a change in their communities.
0: So here's the, th- the three things that I would think of is gyms on site. So if you're a hospital or if you're a, an organ- a healthcare organization that employs you know a couple hundred people, putting some sort of gym in your facility, I think is just an immense step towards building that third place because our society and culture is one that prioritizes or values wellness and fitness, especially in healthcare. I think that's something that has become more of an emphasis. And then people are generally working out. So if they're getting out of work, they're going to a a crunch fitness or an LA fitness. So if that's on site, it makes it more convenient for the employee because then they can hit the gym either before their shift, after their shift. So it's allowing them to have less friction in their life. But then you're also building that sense of community. It's something where they're not obligated to use it. They're not required to use it. And then if they do, they're able to interact with coworkers. There's that sense of community. There's maybe a sense of togetherness where they're doing activities with coworkers, but it's not work per se. So I think having on-site gyms is a great way to do it. Another one that I think is a really cool one is just having better lounges, better employee areas. I never understood when I was a student and I would rotate through different hospitals, you would maybe have a physician's lounge and the lounge would be, you know, like two threadbare couches and a TV that had like a gray squiggle line through it because you had to, you know, bump it a couple times to get it to work. Having better relaxation areas, and maybe that's not necessarily just for people that are on break, but even having the opportunity for people to, uh, you know, relax there before or after work. I think so many times hospitals have a coffee shop or a restaurant in the hotel lobby or in the in the hospital lobby but you could have a very similar setup where maybe you have a coffee shop that is just for employees or you have a lounge that is near the lobby coffee shop and then the hospital just sets aside some amount of money in the budget to allow employees to have a 50% discount at the coffee shop to to try and encourage them to have the ability to then have some relaxation time but also a space that drives community, drives connection with with coworkers. The last one that I think about is daycares. The VA locally has a daycare on-site for employees, and that's not necessarily a third place, but it drives, once again, it reduces friction in the employee's life, but it also maybe gives that sense of connection and togetherness because then you're going to be interacting and talking to other employees that may have kids the same age, Maybe that drives play dates. Maybe that drives, hey, you know, I'm working a double. Can you pick my kid up? Or do you mind if if you can just do X, Y, and Z and you continue to build that social fabric? So those are the three, I think, uh, from a big employer standpoint that are all relatively low cost. If it's a daycare or something like that, you can still charge the employee, you know, maybe at a discounted rate, but try and maybe have it be a break-even venture instead of a charitable endeavor. But all of those things can drive or facilitate that
1: third place, drive that sense of connection. I do want to um, butt in quick because it's a ridiculous example. You've heard of Kodak before, so Kodak um, in my hometown used to be uh, everybody worked for Kodak in this area, and they had multiple buildings spread across Rochester, and. You can still go into some of these old buildings. They have basketball courts. They have bowling alleys. They even had an indoor shooting range at one point. Uh, they have a theater, and the theater is still functional. Now, now um, you can go there for uh, comics or or plays, even some movies they'll put on there. Uh, it's, it is a nice facility. So they were doing this before this was even a conversation, because they saw the benefit if, if these people are going to be here all the time and they're going to be with each other. And it's a massive community around this area. They're like, why wouldn't we want them in our building uh, enjoying themselves? It really does put a better light on going to the workplace. Because I don't know how many times have you gone to work early and you have the choice. I could either sit in my car until it's time for me to go in. And I can catch up on emails. Or I can walk in and maybe say hi to a few people. I know I'm going to get stuck in a conversation. We make that decision at work. Whereas if you had a place where you could go in and I know that I get to sit, like you said, maybe have a really cheap coffee that tastes good. I'm probably going to not sit in my car. I'm probably going to go in and enjoy my conversation with these folks. I think
0: tech has done such a nice job of this. You look at Google and Facebook and granted they're swimming in money, so I know it's not a perfect example. But they have cafeterias. They have all kinds of lounge areas. And the cynical side of it is you can find lots of good articles that talk about that it's actually self-serving for these tech companies to do it. Because the whole idea of what they're trying to do is they're trying to facilitate a work environment where everything is provided, including community, so that their workers never go home because then their workers are more productive. And it's kind of the the known thing in tech where a lot of times it's these young 20 or 30-somethings that maybe are not married. They don't have a lot of social connection outside of their job. And these companies are all too willing to provide everything they need to make sure that these folks are okay working 70 or 80-hour days. But healthcare is not that different, right? We've got so many jobs where people are mandated to work you know, double shifts or overtime. So if we're going to ask so much of employees... If we're going to have nurses working 60 hours a week in the ER, isn't that similar to tech where it makes sense to try and make their working environment as comfortable or as enjoyable as possible, even if the work itself is very stressful? So I think the way that tech does it probably does give a lot of opportunities for healthcare to maybe look at that and replicate, in my opinion, the the investment for retention or better employee satisfaction is not that much up front. And you probably make it all back if you're not having as much turnover. But what do I know?
1: Yeah, well, I, I will say that uh, there is a, that's a chess piece that the healthcare community or administration has to play with. And they may not choose to, to do that, but there is a, we, t- we talked about the great exodus maybe a year ago, coming out of covid a lot of practitioners are leaving so it's not always about paying people more it's not always about making sure that somebody could advance it's also about the quality of life that these these administrators could provide to their people so they i am i'm hoping that the healthcare community does recognize that this is a great opportunity for them um, But there's going to have to be a change. That you can't just hope to hire people from out of the country to take on these nursing positions or continue to pay these outrageous fees for nurses to do travel nursing. And even if they live in the same city, they're still paying these contracted prices. Like it's it's not tenable. It's probably on the verge of um waste as part of the fraud, waste, and abuse. So if we can provide a more communal living and get people more excited about the company that they're working for, I think this is a, a wonderful chess piece to use.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's It'll be interesting to see what the future holds. As post-COVID, we've had such an issue with employee retention and turnover continues to just add so much cost. Inflation is making it very difficult to, to bring people in. So I, I think we have to make changes. And this is the beauty of the free market, right, is that a lot of times there's mutually aligned goals. We we, we malign the free market a lot as being just profit focused, often at the expense of workers. But sometimes I do think that capitalism can help because worker conditions can improve if that's what's needed to boost efficiency to make sure that we have retention. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, this was a fun conversation. I love the idea of third places. I love the idea that we need to be more intentional about how we build our community, both career-wise at work, but also personally. And so often these do intermingle because we just, we value work highly in our society. And very often we identify both personally and professionally based on what we do for a job. You know, I'm a PA, you're a pharmacist. That's how we When we introduce ourselves to new people, that's probably what we say. We don't say, you know, I'm a red-haired ginger with four kids. You say, I'm a pharmacist, right? That's your identity. So,
1: (laughs) I actually had an, I was giving a shot yesterday, and this older lady said, I had the door wide open as I'm preparing everything, and she must have been in her mid-80s, and she said, she screams out loud, oh my God. You have a beautiful head of red hair, that beautiful red beard. Well, wow, I, I should say handsome. And I hear everybody back in the pharmacy giggling and rolling their eyes out there. And I just peeked my head out. I was like, well, you found, yep. You found the one person. In the world the one person.
0: <laughs> well, let's switch over to personal items. What a what a great transition yeah. point talking about your beauty.
1: Yeah, well, I will start on this one because it's the perfect topic for what my personal item is i am listening to an audible book right now called children of ash and elm and it's about vikings uh i started watching that show vikings uh i started a while back and just never finished it so i figured why not listen to a historical book now this book talks about the communal aspects of the vikings how they have the major the the major longhouse or the communal gathering place with a big fire pit in the middle and everybody eating around the fireplace. And they would even uh, sleep in the same area, even if they had their own homes after a day of, of work, um, a, dare I say raiding, uh, they would go back to this area, uh, tell stories, eat food, um, really just enjoy the company of each other and when it was time to go to bed they would just lie down and go to sleep right there and the author made the point of how important communal living was for these folks how anybody could really say anything to each other it was a leveling place and it i don't i would never want to live in that time period um however there is that wonderlust of living on the land, and just at the end of the day, coming around your whole community to spend the evening together and just enjoy a fire and have food together.
0: I think about as I get older, I think about this a lot because there is that feeling of oh man, you know the the settlers of of olden day go going right. west and just striking off and living off the land. And then it's like, eh, yeah, but they all died at like 50 years old from disease. Right. They they often didn't know if they were going to make it through the winter because they had inadequate food storage. We
1: all played Oregon Trail. We know.
0: Man, I live a pretty comfortable <laughs> life, so it, it's right. kind of fun to think about it that way. But at the same time, modern life is great. It's, it's the same thing with childbirth, right? When When people argue for all natural, out of hospital childbirth and, and they say, People have been having babies for thousands of years. And my thought is, yeah, and for thousands of years, the mortality rate was like 50-50. Yes, right. So people that want to be natural, you know, great, fine, everyone gets a choice, but I'm a big fan of modern medicine. So my personal item, as promised, I'm going to talk more about coffee because, of course, it's such a major part of my life. So my seven-year-old has become quite the little barista. So I've been doing more espresso, as we talked about previously, and in part because the weather is starting to cool. And my seven-year-old has taken an interest in learning how to pull shots. So he is doing great. So the other day, we had friends over for to watch the Bills game, and he just went around and took everyone's coffee orders and then went and did it all by himself. <laughs> and really? he's now at the point that he can pull a shot of espresso that is equivalent to what I can do. Uh, so it's awesome. He does not know how to steam milk yet. Because I the, the wand, you know, makes me a little nervous that he's going to burn himself. But he can pull a really, really great shot of the espresso. And so we've been making lots of Americanos. Um, we've been doing some shaken iced espressos. Basically, anything that does not require steamed milk, he's got you. So next step is we'll have to figure out how to uh, safely allow him to steam milk. But he's becoming quite the little barista. So maybe in the future, if this skill set holds, we'll have to open a coffee shop and build a third place. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. We're White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing. If you really like what you hear, leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Until next week, this is Mike and John. Have a wonderful week, everybody.